What if, what if one thing was different? What if one big thing was different? Something huge, something significant, something outside your control. What would that be like? What if I had a sense of humour? What would that do for church on Sundays? Some of you think that. I think Ian thinks that sometimes. It'd be interesting. What if, what if I, uh, sorry, what, what if you lost the use of your tongue? What if you gained the brains to be a neurosurgeon? No pun intended. What if you had more money? What if you got home after lunch today, uh, if you didn't have lunch at home, or maybe you go home to lunch, uh, and there's a cheque in the mail, it's a bank cheque, and it's for a million dollars? What if? What if you never made another mistake, ever? What if Adam and Eve never sinned? What if this world was perfect now and there was no suffering, no trouble, no sin, no earthquakes, no crazy pilots flying planes in the mountains, no sickness and no dying? What if? What if Adam and Eve went to God to get his help rather than hiding from him? What if? What if they asked for his forgiveness in the beginning rather than running and making excuses? What if God just killed them after they failed? What if he just took them out after they sinned? What if there wasn't a person like Noah? What if there wasn't an ark but there was still a flood? What if the flood killed everyone without exception? What if Easter never happened? Today, what we're going to do is I'm going to take you through six ramifications, possible ramifications, if Easter never happened. Here's the first one. If Easter never happened, God would be a sinner. Psalm 32 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is a huge call. You know why that's a huge call? It's a huge call because David was a bad guy. If you look at the details about David's life, he had some really stellar moments, didn't he? You know those? I mean, he's written a lot of psalms. It's like if you wrote some poems and they made it in the, into the best of in terms of the Bible, you've done well, right? But he also blew it big time, didn't he? He uh, decided he would have sex with another man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. Her husband's name was Uriah. And then he got her pregnant. And then he thought, I've got to cover this up, so I'll get Uriah home. He's battling on the war front. He'll come home and want to have sex with his wife and be intimate with his wife. Um, so he comes home and he goes, I can't do this while my brothers are fighting on the battlefield. And so David kind of goes, well, what do you do? You just get him drunk. So you take him out. He takes him out, gets him drunk, and hopefully he's going to go home and do the same thing with his wife. He still doesn't do it. And then he organises to get Uriah killed. And God says, through David in Psalm 32 verse 1 to 5 that he forgave David for all his sins. Do you know what that is? That is a scandal, isn't it? That is a scandal. I was watching a newspaper, uh, uh, ABC news article from 2008 for a lady 
who uh, did a, just a, a horrific crime and she got sick and went into hospital. I don't know whether any of you remember this. And people started crying out, don't treat her. Why, don't, why shouldn't you treat her? You don't treat her because she did such a bad thing and justice ought to be done. And don't you look at this and you just kind of go, well, how's God doing that? I just, I was just going to forgive him for doing that. I mean, imagine if you're Uriah's family. It's just like, hang on. I mean, it's like we're taking God to the international court. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get me a lawyer and I'm going to take him to court because he is completely unjust. See, what David did is he didn't value what is most valuable the most highly. That's what righteousness is, right? Righteousness is when you value the most valuable thing the most highly. Do you get that? When you sin, it's when you value something that's not as valuable higher than things that are valuable. And the most valuable thing is God. So he ought to be valued the most highly. Is everyone, everyone with me on that? So when you blow it, it's like something else has become more important. The Old Testament's really clear. Jesus is really clear. Your job, my job, love God with all your heart. Easy, right? Not really. But that's what David had to do. And you know what? He didn't do it. He loved something over God. And that's what sin is. And that's what you and I do. You see, we glorify what we enjoy the most. And do you know what? For the sinner... That isn't God. And for the Christian, that often isn't God, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. There's things that we enjoy more than God and we glorify those things more than God. So my question to you, in spite of everything that David's done here, God forgives him. How can that be just? And so you've got this long list of people in the Old Testament and God's just letting off the hook. I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to forgive you. You're going to get off. Now, you know, in our culture, in our society, what hits the, the newspapers? What hits the news, the nightly news at night? Well, it's going to be the court cases where the person's gone off and everyone thinks it's unjust. This is on the nightly news. This is on the, the ribbon at the bottom of the screen. God has let David off. God has let Peter off. God has let, put your own name in, off. It's unjust. It's not right. And some of you go, yeah, but didn't they sacrifice animals in the old testament yeah they did but you know what hebrews 10 verse 4 says it's actually impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin so at this point you're kind of going well if he's letting them off he's either a liar and saying they've got forgiveness when they don't or he's an unjust judge so either way he's a sinner to get my point either way he's a sinner now psalm 7 verse 11 says god is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God is not a sin, sinful, unjust judge. 1 Peter 2 verse 22 to 23 speaks of Jesus when it says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you hear that? God is a just judge and he's offering forgiveness to people. So how can he actually do that? Well... Would you like to have a car like that? Anyone like to have a car like that? I would. Okay. Here's, here's how it rolls. Um, and some of you going, how would you fit your family in? That's the point. You just go in the, in the car on your own. Um, maybe with your wife, I would take edge. There you go. Here's the thing. Here's, it's, I'll set it up for you. This is, let's just imagine for a second this is God's car. It's a hot car, right? Nice car. It's God's car and he says to you, Peter, 
Whatever your name is, everyone say your name out loud. One, two, three. Excellent. You can borrow my car and take it for a spin. And you're just, would you take it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you take God's car for a spin and you know what you do? You, you crash it. All right? Now, it's, it's still drivable. Okay? There's probably one thing worse than crashing a car that can't be, that's drivable when it's God's and that's crashing it where it's not drivable. I mean, that's just, I called the RACQ and they brought it back for you, God, you know, here's, here's your car. So you crashed it, right? You trashed this thing. Now, God actually can't just stand there and just say, yeah, uh, that's cool, that's a job. Because his car's busted. It's wrecked. Do you get my point? Like it doesn't stop the wreckage, him just letting someone off doesn't stop or deal with the wreckage. He has to kind of deal with the wreckage. Either you have to pay for it or he has to pay for it or it just stays wrecked, in which case he's paid for it because it's wrecked and he can't really drive it that much anymore. You with me? You can't just gloss over it. You can't just say, I forgive you, and then it's kind of over. Well, Some of you would know this passage quite well. I'm going to read it from Romans 3, verse 22 to 25. But there's a bit at the end where you probably haven't noticed quite as much. There is no distinction for all of sin. Everyone's blown it and falls short of the glory of God. And we're justified by his grace as a gift, which is pretty much what grace is. It's a gift. Justified, by the way, just means a legal declaration that you're perfect. So it's kind of like a judge saying, Sam, you're perfect and legally declaring it. So you get justified as a gift. You get declared perfect as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Everyone say that, propitiation? <laughs> That's good. Does anyone know what it means? Kind of. It actually means wrath remover. All right? It's kind of like the cosmic nappy sand challenge. All right? <laughs> it's just like get it all out, get all the junk. I just, I don't know, I probably just... It was disrespectful to God. But anyway, um, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, hopefully as I've read that, you'd sit there and you'd go, yeah, well, that's really nice that he declares he's righteous, but I'm not. Okay, so there's a bit of an issue there. This is the bit I want you to pay attention to. This was to show God's righteousness. So God always values the most valuable thing most highly because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. Now, you thought Jesus dying on the cross was about you, didn't you? And it is, but it's not only about you, it's actually about God as well. Because what's happened the whole way up to the death of Jesus is God has forgiven people and he's had no money, in a sense, in the bank to forgive them. Do you get what I'm saying? There was a bill and someone had to pay a debt to make sure all these people would get forgiven and he hadn't paid for it until Jesus died on the cross. So if Easter never happened, God would be a sinner. He would either be a liar or an unjust judge. In either case, a sinner. But he's not. He's a forgiver. Number two. If Easter never happened, you would bear all of God's wrath upon your sin. Now, the Western church, in my experience, we don't talk a whole lot about wrath anymore. Okay? Because it's a bit scary. And let's be honest. Is anyone a bit scared of the wrath thing? Like, yeah. Like it is. All right? And even if I stood up here today and I just ranted and raved about how God's coming to get you, all right, what it tends to do with people is it tends to push them into self-preservation rather than pursuit of God because it's like I've got to get some fire insurance here because I've heard that fire is going to be really bad, you know, and I've just kind of got to deal with that, right? 
So I don't think it always works when you go after the hellfire and brimstone thing, but let's be straight about it. Uh, Romans 6 verse 23 actually says, um, if you sin, the wages you're due to be paid is death. That's, that's your due. It's like you've earned it. It's like, uh, that's, that's good. It's like, that's one heck of a payday, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of go, really? Like that's, here you go. You've been working for this. You go, no, well, not really. I didn't want that. No, but you have been. You have been. Every time you sin, you work for death and you get paid it. Uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing that. Now that is really saying, listen, if you don't do everything that the law calls upon you to do in the Old Testament, you're going to be cursed. Now, I want you to imagine there's an angel in heaven that has been created and their soul, the sole purpose for their existence is to watch you, individually, just to watch you, okay? And they sit up there and they've got a magical supernatural pen that can write down multiple offences at the same time and they watch every single time that you blow it and you don't do what God's asked you to do and they write it in a book, like this one. Anyone thinking? <laughs> That's right. So there's a few people going, really? How many, like, what are we up to? 800? No, that's not going to be enough. Other thing I want you to just uh, think about is just imagine my hand here, my left hand here is, is you, okay? Ceiling is God. This angel is writing down everything that you do wrong. And you know what? It gets in between you and God. And you can't get to him. You're never going to be able to get to him. You just, you can't, you're, stu- you're stuck with it. And it's kind of like, you go, well, that's unfair. No, that's not unfair because you did it. You know, you've had that with someone where you just go, what are you complaining about? You got yourself into that mess, so just sit in it. That's very compassionate, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you feel like that sometimes, right? Now listen, imagine this hand over here is Jesus. He, he's perfect, right? Never blown it. And he has full and unfettered access, access between him and his father. True? What happened on the cross... Some of you would, uh, would remember that on the cross, Jesus actually cries out to his father, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? You know what's happened on the cross? Is that everyone who trusts in Jesus by faith to forgive them of all of their disobedience at that moment, give it all to Jesus. Okay? And now all of a sudden, everyone who by faith trusts in Jesus to forgive them for disobedience has now got free access to God, which is why things like the curtain in the temple tear and all that sort of stuff happens. But Jesus, he doesn't. Now, here's my point. That stuff's just not going to go away on its own. Justice needs to be done. So someone's got to pay for it. Either Jesus pays for it or you pay for it. There's kind of no other option there. It's not like, like you could say, why doesn't you just forget about it? Because you don't forget about it. A just judge does not forget about crap. Okay? They deal with it and they punish it. That's what they do. And there would be an outrage in the universe, in the supernatural realm, if God just oversaw things and just let stuff slip and didn't do anything about it because he is just. Okay, now, here's the thing. You've got the opportunity to give your stuff to Jesus or if you want to, you can keep it. It's kind of (laughs) like... Do you get what I'm saying? But you can, right? And at some level... You've, give, you've been given the opportunity to decide that. Now, you can make probably, in the context of the universe, the most foolish decision ever and say, I'll handle it myself, thanks. Or 
you can give it to Jesus. Now, I don't want it to sound like I'm down upon you. If you're not a Christian here today and you haven't made that decision, it's okay, right? Because all of the Christians here know we do all really dumb stuff too, okay? That's just a really important dumb thing to kind of get right, <laughs> if you can. Uh, but as far as Christians go, I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible, isn't there? Proverbs. You read Proverbs? It's really about, this is stupid, this is wise. And if you're a Christian, you read there and you just kind of go, well, I'm putting my name in both columns most of the way through it, Okay? But here's the thing, give it to Jesus, all right? Because if you don't, if Easter never happened, if Jesus never died on the cross, you would have to bear it. You actually wouldn't have the opportunity of putting it on Jesus. Now, there's a um, theologian called Jonathan Edwards. He was around in about the 1700s and uh, he was a Protestant preacher, philosopher, theologian, uh, that sort of gear. And he... Uh, wrote this classic sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it's a fearsome sermon. I mean, it's just, it's harrowing. Uh, and people, I, I actually had been doing some counselling with a guy who um, was just latched onto all this sort of stuff. And it was almost like he had this kind of religious OCD and he would read this stuff and it just make him spin out in the wrong direction badly. Um, and when you read it, it just kind of sounds like the guy, is, his eyeballs are hanging out the front of his head, you know, and he's hanging over the pulpit and he's just about to topple out, you know, because he's getting in people's faces so much. Um, but apparently, you know, I remember hearing John Piper talk about the fact when he wrote this sermon, he actually just read it out almost in a monotone expression, very calmly. But I'm just going to read through an excerpt for you from Jonathan Edwards' sermon about the fierceness of God's wrath. It is the fierceness of his wrath that you are exposed to. We often read of the fury of God, as in Isaiah 59:18. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries. So Isaiah 66:15. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to rend his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. And in many other places. So Revelation 19:15, we read of the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God Almighty. The words are exceedingly terrible. If it had only been said the wrath of God, the words would have implied that which is infinitely dreadful. But it is the fierceness and wrath of God. Do you get his point? If God was just like angry about something, that would be one thing. But it's not just angry. It's like fiercely angry. Uh, the fury of God, the fierceness of Jehovah. Oh, how dreadful that must be. Who can utter or conceive what such expressions carry in them? But it is also the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Do you hear that? He's gone, it's not just wrath, it's fierce wrath, and now it's a fierce wrath of, of an Almighty God. As though there would be a, great, a very great manifestation of His Almighty power in what the fierceness of His wrath should inflict, as though omnipotence, all powerfulness, should be, as it were, enraged and exerted as men are wont to exert their strength in the fierceness of their wrath. Oh, then, what will be the consequence? What will become of the poor worms that shall suffer it? Whose hands can be strong and whose hearts can endure? To what a dreadful, inexpressible, inconceivable depth of misery must a poor creature be sunk who shall be the subject of this? You get his point? It's wrath, it's fierce wrath, and it's fierce wrath by someone who's all-powerful. That's pretty scary. Anyone with me on that? It just is. And what he's saying there is he goes, whenever you get someone angry, it's like their wrath is worse if they're stronger. That's really what Edwards is saying. And if God's the most strong, his wrath is going to be the most scary. But 1 John 4 verse 10, 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you hear that? This is like you're in a car and you're doing 250 k's an hour and you're heading toward an intersection where the lights are broken and there's an absolute certainty that you're going to crash into someone and just be absolutely trashed and killed. And Jesus, in a sense, is like the airbag. Do you get that? It's like you don't have your seatbelt on, you're in this car, you're careering out of control and he's kind of like this cosmic airbag that says, I will absorb all of the wrath, I will absorb all of the stain of your sin so that you can be free, so that you can live. And you know what? If Jesus didn't die, you would have no one to take God's anger away from you. You need a substitute, right? You need a substitute. Uh, Or there would be no end to your guilt. John Piper said this, he said, we will never stand in awe of being loved by God until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of his wrath against us. Do you know what? There are lots of magical things about God. And God is very kind and he's very compassionate and he's very gracious. And churches talk about that a lot and they ought to because the Bible does. But do you know what? If you only ever feed on sugar and lollies and you don't realise what it could be like, you just don't appreciate it as much. You know, it's like chocolate. If you like, anyone here like chocolate? It kind of tastes best when you haven't eaten it for like three months. I remember going to Indonesia and being over there and I just don't do... I mean, Indonesians are lovely people and I went over there twice doing missiony kind of church things. But you know what? I just don't... I don't like their sweets at all. And I, I was in... Uh, I was in Bali uh, at a pastor's kind of thing that was going on there and I just got out and I'm just going, oh, I've just got to find some chocolate. <laughs> I've just got a, like one of those $1 stick kind of Cadbury things. That, that will do. I've just... Because they bring the sweets out and it's something that's kind of wrapped up in some banana leaf or something and it's all gelatinous and it looks like kind of stew that's kind of hardened, you know, a bit. And, and I don't mean to put them down, but it's just like, man, you know, you have that chocolate and you say, oh, you know. And I've realised how sweet and British our afternoon teas and morning teas are and that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's a bit like that with God and with His, with his, uh, his grace and His goodness. If you don't realise what you really were up for, you don't realise how good it is um, that, you've got, that you've got it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but will have eternal life. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See that? So you start talking about the wrath, and some of you are probably going, oh, he's just getting into us and getting all judgmental on us. No, he's not getting into you and getting judgmental. You've just got to see reality the way that it is, and then just embrace it. You see, like John 3.17 says, God didn't send Jesus into the world to up people and tell them they're all losers. He sent him into the world to save them. So you just got to know what you've been saved saved from and you don't get saved from it if Easter doesn't happen. Number three, if Easter never happened, evil wins. These beautiful verses, James 2 verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. Romans 12, 21, don't be overcome with evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where evil wins? I was sitting the other day and I thought, I've just got to get a clip. Can I just, I've just got to think about a movie where uh, good triumphs over evil. And I just, and then I, it's like every movie, isn't it? That's what every movie is. I remember, uh, and I wouldn't recommend that you go and watch this, 
because it, it really disturbed me. And some of you go, I thought you were disturbed. Yeah, no, it made me worse. Um, the butterfly effect, um, and specifically the director's cut, uh, which was the one that came out on DVD. The one in the movies had a happy ending. But this, it's a story of this... Um, it's basically the idea that a butterfly flutters its wings on one side of the world and then on the other side of the world you've got a hurricane or something. So small things have big consequences. So the whole movie is about this guy who's worked out how to go back in time and change little things so that it ends up with a better consequence. And every time he changes it, it actually ends up worse. And it's got some of the most brutal, um, difficult themes in it. I mean, I was just talking to Diff about it before, about the fact that it, it really makes evil and bad stuff look really, really bad. Um, and that's a, a bit of a category for me as to what might be an okay movie to watch is does it make bad look bad and good look good? It makes bad look really bad. It ends with this scene at the end where he's literally worked out... Uh, he, he's gone back to being a, a fetus inside his mother's tummy and he's just, he's just almost frustrated by the fact that he can't get life to end up the way that he wanted it to. Every time it would fix one thing up and make another thing worse and he gets to the end and the only thing that he's got left that he can do is he actually causes himself to miscarry inside his mother's stomach. And the story of the whole movie at the end is the only way everyone else can be happy is if I die. That's the only way for everyone else to be happy. And it's just a, I mean, it's just a tragic, tragic movie because it, and people don't tend to like that. That was not the cut that made it into the movies because people want good to win. What do you think it would be like to live in a universe where evil wins? What sort of universe is that? Where the bully wins, where fear wins, where trouble wins, where there's no hope, where the overwhelming kind of tra trajectory of history is that the bad guys are going to end up ruling. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. And some of you know that, because you've been in... Um, in employment situations, you've been in situations where there's wicked people in charge and it really causes you to groan. I'm going to show you a clip from a movie called I Am Legend. This is, uh, I think, about 2007, 2008, starred Will Smith. It's a story about how the, um, there's a scientist who'd worked out a, a vaccine or whatever that would actually go to work and actually deal with cancer, but it actually ended up kind of mutating and infecting all these people and they kind of turned into zombie-like creatures... Uh, that kind of hang out in the night time, all these infected people. And so they abandon uh, Manhattan, the island of Manhattan. Will Smith's family is kind of um, escaping just as it's getting really messy and there's lots of these people getting around, these zombie-like creatures getting around. They end up, their helicopter crashes, he loses his whole family. He ends up being the only one on this whole island who has an immunity, a natural immunity to this uh, infection that's causing the problems. And he just gets really tired of everything that's going on. The zombie-like creatures only like to be in the dark. Uh, so he's safe during the day, but at night he's in this steel um, reinforced house and he can, you can just hear them screaming, these people screaming in their uh, pain and everything else that they're doing out there in the night time, wanting to get at him and uh, wanting to kill him. Uh, and it looks like for all money, evil's winning. Will Smith, just, he's just tired of it. He goes out and he goes, I'm going to kill as many of these guys as I possibly can. Um, and um, you see this clip here. He goes out to do that and he kind of gets overcome by them and then he wakes up in his own house again and it turns out that there's another lady who's heard some of his radio broad broadcasts uh, asking if there's anyone else who's unaffected. That's where we're up to here. 
It's a little bit quiet at the start. She's beautiful. What's her name? Marley. Her name was Marley. It's a beautiful name. Yeah, we named her after Bob Marley. Who? Uh, the singer. Uh, Damien? Uh, his father. His father. Mm, no. Oh, shut <laughs> oh, that is unacceptable. What? Best album ever made. This idea was kind of a virologist's idea. Um, he believed that you could cure racism and hate, literally cure it, by injecting music and love into people's lives. When they was scheduled to perform at a peace rally, a gunman came to his house and shot him down. Two days later, he walked out on that stage and sang. Somebody asked him why. He said, the people who are trying to make this world worse are not taking a day off. How can I? Light up the darkness. People who are trying to make this world worse don't have a day off, so how can I? If you've been around the project enough, you know that uh, one, th one of the things I've been preaching about is the fact that God was at rest until sin came into the world and he's been working ever since. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's not taking days off. And it's all because of Easter. And it all culminates in Easter. There is going to be an end to sin and trouble. If you just look at the end of John 16 down there, uh, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world and this from Romans 5 20 to 21 where sin increased grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord do you get that it's like as bad as the badness gets good's going to get gooder as bad as the badness gets God's grace and his goodness is actually going to overcome it because of Easter you don't live in a world where evil wins 
You live in a world where good is going to win. And it doesn't matter how dark and how brutal and how difficult it is, good is still going to get over the top and it's going to win it. True? Isn't that exciting? So you can go into that. And even if you're right in the middle of something that's really difficult, it's not hopeless because the historical trajectory of what God's up to is that good is going to win and his grace is going to get over the top of it and he's going to cause you to be an overcomer. Amen? That's what's going to happen. And that's... You can lay all the blame for that at the foot of the cross at Easter, all right? That's where it belongs. Number four, if Easter never happened, no one's coming for you. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Do you know what? No one's coming for you, never any point in time. You go, well, some people come and help me. Well, the ultimate thing that you're in trouble with The only one that can help with that is Jesus and he can only help if he dies on the cross. If he doesn't die on the cross and Easter doesn't come, do you know what? Your hearts cry that someone's going to come for me and someone's going to help me at the point where I hurt and where I struggle and where I fail the most. It's not going to happen. It's a mirage. There's a movie I've shown a few clips from before called The Guardian. I'm just going to show you a quick 45-second clip. It's about... Kevin Costner, who's a rescue swimmer in rescue helicopters that go out in storms. A boat has just gone down, a ship's just gone down, and uh, he's coming out uh, in the chopper to, uh, to rescue some people in the water. Do you that? When we go home, they die. You know what? If Jesus doesn't die on the cross at Easter, you die and no one's coming for you. You, You're stuck in the ocean, you're stuck in the trouble and no one's ultimately going to be coming for you. But that's not how it is, is it? Romans 8, 31 to 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And some of you just kind of go, oh, they need a saviour. Well, you need saving more than people who think they need saving, all right? And you're in more trouble than they are, just so that you know. That's a free one. Now, I'm going to read a section. that It's beautiful, actually. The last couple of pages of the story about the fall in the Jesus Storybook Bible are beautiful. So let me read you a kid's story. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world and it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It is not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden... God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them and then he sent them away on a long, long journey. Some of you know the, the length of that feels. It's like, are we there yet? Uh, out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would be all over and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. 
Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children. would never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. Listen to this. It will not always be so. I'll come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. If Easter doesn't happen, no one's coming for you. But you know what? Someone is coming for you. Number five, I'm going to rip through these really quick. We're a bit over. Are you okay? If Easter never happened, then nothing good would be coming your way. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 45. You know what it says? It's that God's generous and he's gracious to people who love him and those who don't. I mean, we just live in a world full of that. I mean, people have got good relationships. They've got cars, they've got houses, they've got health care. I mean, it's just like it's not a hurricane right now. It's not a Category 5 cyclone right now. Uh, and we're not just getting our just desserts, our comeuppance. Every single time that anything good happens to anyone is because God's kind. And you know what? No good can come to anyone unless Jesus pays for it. Because no one deserves it. God is really, really kind. And you know what? We love quoting Romans 8.28, don't we? All things work together for good. Or without the cross, you know what? Nothing's going to work together for good. Nothing. But it does. Number six. If Easter never happened, then there would be no way to get clean. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You probably know that. Who's sin? Anyone ever sin here? Anyone ever? Just put your hand up if you've ever sinned and you felt dirty after it. Okay. Who's ever, sinned, who's ever had someone sin against them and you felt dirty after it? Yeah. Okay. Do you know... You look at that scripture up there, it talks about you confessing your sins. Sins. Let me read through it again. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's the next word? All. All, All right? All. Now, God's cleansing that comes through Jesus on the cross is for all sin. It's not just for the stuff that you've done. It's also for what people have done against you. And some of the people who feel this most acutely are people who have been the victims of, uh, of sexual abuse or sexual assault. They know better than I know when I talk about it now that there's a dirtiness that comes with someone else's sin against them. And you know what? It does because sin is filthy. I mean, you, you look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament seems to be saying it kind of compares sin with poo and vomit. And it's like if you're covered in sin, it's kind of like being covered in poo and vomit. I'm sorry to say it like that, but that's just kind of how it is. And so it makes sense if someone else does something to you, you're going to stink a bit at the end of it. You know, you're going to be dirty from what the other people do. Not even, I'm not even going into just the whole shame component of it. That you don't want to talk about stuff, you want to hide about stuff. There's a whole other thing that's kind of going on there. But you know what Easter's about? Easter is about cleansing from all sin. And if you don't, have Easter, you don't have cleansing and purification for sin. It's just kind of, you know what we're like? We're like a kid who's just gone out and they've just been completely muddy and they've got mud all over their hands and they're coming in and they're trying to clean themselves because mum's not going to be happy 
when I get to the door and it's like they're making it worse. And mum's going, put your hands up, you know, it's like an old Western kind of hold up, all right? Put them in the air, you know, until I hose you down or something. That's kind of what it's like. We kind of want to clean things, but we just kind of make it worse. And honestly, that's a large part of what recalibrates a bit. It's about the fact that we add trouble to our trouble. We mess things up even more. And it's like, put your hands up, God says, I died on the cross. The reason that you can get clean is because Easter actually happened. If Easter never happened, you wouldn't have anyone who loves you like this. I'm going to show you this clip. I've shown it before. John Q. Stands in Washington. He's the lead character. He's a father. He's uh, got a son with a heart condition. His son's going to die. Needs a heart transplant. He sold everything that he can to pay for it. His medical insurance for his work's not going to cover it. Uh, they've sold everything that they can sell to pay for it. They don't have enough money. Just at his wits end, his wife says to him one day, you need to do something about this situation. You need to do something about our son dying. And what he does is he takes a gun and he goes and he holds a whole emergency room at the local hospital up as, uh, to, to hostage. And what you see here is a discussion between the doctor... And John Q. We're in trouble, John. Mike's blood pressure has dropped into the mid-40s. His atrial blood pressure should be in the low teens. It's 35. I'm sorry, John. Without a new heart, he's not going to make it. Okay. Take mine. What? You heard me. Take my heart and you put it in Mike. Oh, man, you done lost your... Oh you can't be serious. You bet I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Oh my. Wow. Man, that means you'll be dead. And my son will live. John, you can't do this. It's the only way. No, you don't understand. Physically, you can't do this. Yes, I can. I kill myself. You open me up, you take my heart. It's perfect. Man, it's just crazy. No, no. We can't just remove your heart and put it into Michael's body. John, there are too many unknowns. Matching a donor and a recipient is extremely complicated. There are several critical tests that have to be taken. Like what? Cross matches for blood type, chest cavity measurements. If both blood tissues are not completely compatible... Come on, I know all about compatibility, no. okay? We've been tested up the wazoo. We're both B positive. Our tissues match. His heart's three times the size of a normal heart, so mine will fit. You know well we're compatible. It's out of the question, Doc, I'm telling you, he will make it. Can't do it, John. No. So what? So if I'm laying on the floor dead, you're not going to take my heart and put it in him to save his life? You'll let two people die instead of one because of a technicality? You know what? I think what John is trying to do is right. Me too. I think it's so brave. It's brave, but what do you think Mike would want? What about your wife? Mike's too young to know what's good for him. I'm his father. It's my job to protect him. Besides, Denise would do the same thing. John, look. I know what's happening to Mike is bad, man. Matter of fact, it's the worst. But killing yourself ain't gonna solve a thing. Sometimes you just gotta let go and let God. Just accept it, brother. Accept it? Accept what? Accept what? That Mike is going to die. No. No, I don't accept that. Ever. No, I reject that out of hand. I mean, look, he... All right, he's a patient to you, I understand. But if you... He's a good kid. I mean, he's... He, he loves bodybuilding. He's, he wants to be a bodybuilder. Can you believe that? And he, he's funny. He's, you'd like him. You'd like him, Doc, if you got to know him. I do like All him. All right, then. Then please, I'm just begging you. Step outside the room. I'd like to, John. I really would. But what you're asking crosses the line. It is completely 
unethical. So what? I'm, I'm not. I'm crossing the line. You're crossing the line. The whole system crossing the line. Who cares? Maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about. All right, I don't give a damn. My son's gonna live. Maybe you guys haven't figured that out by now. I'll do whatever I gotta do for him to live. So what are you gonna do? You gonna shoot me if I don't operate? No. I'm gonna kill myself. All right? Let's just see what happens. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? He needs a donor. Somebody's gotta die in order for him to live. I'm his father, it's me. All right. All right? All right what? I'll do it if that's what you want. Are you serious? You're gonna let him kill himself? Once he's dead, why not? If Easter never happened, you wouldn't have anyone who loves you like that. 1 John 3 verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us.